Our first reading today comes from the Epistle to the Hebrews in the 11th chapter. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing and the understanding of God's holy word. Friends, when you walked down the hall into this room, you walked past a photo series. It's been there for a few months, so you may have stopped noticing it. So I brought some to share with you. Did you notice the images of the church members with halos looking like saints? Here are you, Deacon Deacon Petrina Cash with Dr. Frank Martinetti, who had the prayer hands just right. And Kathy, you and your brother. Pictured as saints, which he truly is now among the saints. This was based on a children's sermon last year when we sang the song, I sing a song of the saints of God. Do you know it?
I sing a song of the saints of God, patient and brave and true, who toiled and fought and lived and died for the God they loved and knew. And at the end it sings, for the saints of God are just folk like me, and I mean to be one too which is why we stood against this backdrop, and it's here if you would like to take your picture as though you are a saint, which you are in your own ways. The saints of God are just folk like me. I want to be one too. And the song sings about all of those saints. One was a doctor and one was a priest. One was slain by a fierce wild beast. One was a soldier, one was a queen. One was a shepherdess on the green. They all had this in common. They had a powerful faith, and they suffered. In our reading from this letter to the Hebrews, in much the same way, we are tracing through the saints who the people would have known, names and stories so familiar to them. The writer is naming all of these saints so that they can encourage the recipients of the letter to stay strong in their faith. Despite everything that they are going through, everything they struggle with, everything they might be suffering, remember the saints who did everything by faith. Did you hear that repeated in the letter? By faith, by faith, and through faith. The people this letter was sent to were small in number, and not only threatened by the powerful, but maybe even alienated from family members as they joined this, what we might call a grassroots movement that went against the societal norms of the day, who gathered in places where Jews and Gentiles ate together, where slave women and businesswomen were told they were equals with one another and with men, a place where goods were meant to be held in common. You can imagine family members being distrustful of these new friends. Really, a new family, which people were joining. And so we know that they must have experienced what the gospel of Luke is describing, as Jesus says. This must have been true for them. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Can you believe these are the words of Jesus? When people say they prefer the God of the New Testament to the God of the Old Testament, remind them what Heidi preached on last week. No, two weeks ago, God as the tender parent helping a baby learn to walk and wanting to hold us as babies to God's cheek, contrasted with Jesus here. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five and one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. This is Jesus saying that in this new kingdom, in this new reality, there will be division. It's just simply a fact that when this new movement of love starts, anyone who wants to maintain the status quo 
will be split off from this new way. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, It is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? I think this is what the people are experiencing in their own daily lives. And so the author writes to the Hebrews, who have been through trials already and may have even worse things ahead of them. They may be imprisoned, beaten, or martyred for their faith. So the author uses this image to keep them brave. And this is what I want to focus on for the rest of this morning. This great cloud of witnesses. The great cloud. The presence of God's own being is sometimes described as being cloud-like. And you might remember that as God is leading the people from enslavement in Egypt across around the wilderness for 40 years and into the promised land, God goes before them as fire by day and cloud by night. Ever present, always there but impossible to see clearly or understand or grasp. But here, this cloud, did you notice, is full of witnesses, surrounding, hovering over. And the faces in the cloud are our heroes and heroines, the one who could accomplish things by faith. It is as though they are somehow incorporated into this cloud-like being of God, Somehow they are supported and sustained, hovering, floating all around in this encompassing presence. From this vantage point, they witness to Jesus. When we say witness, we usually mean talk about what God or what Jesus has done in your life. But here, they also witness you. They watch us from the cloud. I talked to my oldest child about this sermon last night. She said, are you really about to quote Disney in your sermon? I said, yes. Because does it call to mind that moment in The Lion King? Simba. Look at the stars. The great kings of the past look down on us from those stars. Whenever you feel alone, just remember... Those kings will always be there to guide you, and so will I. Of course, it also reminds me that when Simba tells his friend Timon the same thing, this lesson that his father had taught him, his response is, you mean a bunch of royal dead guys are watching us? It can sound comforting or comical or disturbing. And it may well also have sounded disturbing to ancient peoples. I think they were very familiar with a stadium. Did you know there was an ancient stadium that could hold 150,000 spectators? Can you picture the Circus Maximus? Can you picture the Colosseum? Can you picture those stone steps with people gathered for a play or for entertainment? And can you imagine, like, 
in the Colosseum, the gladiators providing entertainment when they knew that the cheers were people cheering for their death, fighting for their lives while people cheer. Or at early athletic events in these stands, people were cheering because what they were really doing was building up an army. Sport was really military training. But let's set this aside and assume that this can also be not just disturbing, but positive, that this is a good, comforting image. Maybe we really need the voice of James Earl Jones to convince us and find comfort in being watched from on high, comfort in this great cloud. Where are my athletes? Do you have happy memories of being cheered on? I was a swimmer, and my dad has a piercing whistle, and he knew how to time my breathing so that as soon as I would pick up my head for a breath, he'd let out this blast, and I'd hear his loud whistle every time I went to breathe. Or teammates, as people are, do a flip turn and do the backstroke, putting their hands up like this at the end of the lane to tell them to kick faster. I grew up along the Boston Marathon route. And every single year, we would go cheer for all of those runners. And we would look most expectantly for Mr. Hoyt. Are you familiar with her, his story? Every year, he would push his son in a wheelchair. He passed away last year. He was a hero of the Boston Marathon and a fixture. I'm sure you have your own experiences of being on both sides as well, the one cheering and the one competing. Almost a year ago, I used this description of the difference between faith and belief. So let's return to the circus. Do you remember this? Imagine you are in the stands of a three-ring circus, and the ringmaster says to all of us, raise your hand if you believe that this acrobat can ride a bicycle across this tightrope. Raise your hand if you believe that. I mean, they're doing pretty amazing things. Keep your hand up if you think that he can do it with someone on his shoulders. That's belief. Do you believe that could happen? But this is faith. Would you be willing to volunteer to be the person on the shoulders? Faith means you put your own life on the line for what you believe is true. You have skin in the game. So these stands are not just full of any spectators in this passage. Do you know Theodore Roosevelt's speech about the one in the stands? The critic is not the one who matters. The one who matters is the one in the arena, the one who has the skin in the game, the one who has the faith to wrestle it out. What he writes is praise for the one who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never know victory nor defeat. The stands are not full of just anybody. Just preceding this passage, we hear the names of those who are even more familiar those who lived by faith, 
Abel and Enoch, Noah and Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob, Esau and Moses. By faith, these heroes and heroines disrupted systems of power and greed and oppression. By faith, they risked their own safety for a better future. By faith, they defied unjust rulers. Moses' parents hid him from the Pharaoh to protect him. By faith, Moses rejected a life of privilege as the son of Pharaoh's daughter to stand in solidarity with his own oppressed people. No, these are not just anybody in the stands. The cloud of witnesses are the best of the competitors. They are the ones who know the victory. They have earned this spot in the stands, not from buying a ticket, but from having been in the arena themselves. They are the faces of peace in the web room. You could go sit there this week And remember, you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who were in the arena and who cheer you on when you continue the good work of sharing the good news. They might be your own grandparents or great-grandparents, the ones whose stories come to mind. When you think of how strong you are and what you have to go through still yet ahead of you, their faces, their voices come from the cloud. And now it comes down to you. They have finished their leg of the relay and you are on your final lap. Just as athletes know, it isn't just the physical challenge, but the mental challenge, that mental resilience to not talk yourself out of the race, not talk yourself out of the work ahead of you. Not to listen to that voice that says you've gone far enough. That's when we need the crowds cheering for us to keep on going. Let that voice drown out your own voice of self-doubt or self-criticism and hear them cheer. What the scripture tells us today is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus so that we can run our leg of the race as well as possible. Was anyone on the list perfect? Is anyone in that cloud perfect? No. But we are complete together. What race are you running? And who can you call to mind to cheer you on? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.